There are three multi-voice participants this morning. Two are gentlemen who said, ladies first. So why do I go to church? When I think of the word church, there are several, several definitions that come to my mind. A building designed for Christian worship, a particular denomination who worship in a specific way, and the entire body of those who are called out and profess faith in Jesus Christ. Before I share with you my specific list of things that tell you why I go to church in general, I want to tell you specifically how I got to, came, how I got to come to East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church back in 2004, and I'm still a member attending in 2019. I count my presence here as a demonstration of the providence of God. After 35 years of marriage, I found myself single again. When my daughter and husband wanted to purchase a larger home, the thought came to me to swap houses. Within two weeks, our addresses changed without the need of a sold sign. Within several months, I was living in Lancaster, PA. When eye surgery was necessary, the doctor advised me not to drive for several weeks. I contacted a different local church and asked to get a ride, but there was no return call with an answer. My daughter suggested that I visit that little church up the road. The building was just two and a half blocks away, and I could walk. The very first Sunday that I arrived at East Chestnut Street, I was greeted by several smiling faces and was engaged in conversation. Carol, being one of them, is now a very close friend. While sitting in the pew with all the voices singing four heart part in, in four heart in four part harmony, I'll get it out. It made me feel like I was singing in a choir again. There was systematic Bible reading from both the Old and the New Testaments, which is so important to get the whole picture of God's character in proper perspective, his holiness and his love. Although I grew up in a Mennonite Brethren in Christ church, the preaching style was different at East Chestnut Street, which made me listen intently to be sure that the message being preached was biblical. I really was impressed by the Mentor Amigo program to know that the adults in the church were really involved and concerned about the next generation, their physical, mental, social, and spiritual growth. It wasn't long before that I was really, I felt that I was really part of a Sunday school class, now having the name Open Circle, which filled with compassionate, fun-loving, intelligent people who really cared for one another, including a new single attendee. It was the fellowship that I desperately needed. God gives his children spiritual gifts so that we can build each other up to be better people. I was able to use mine becoming involved in the women's ministry, teaching Sunday school, and helping with community meals. As time passed, I was exposed to other areas of service. Within the church, I became part of the Mission Commission and learned how a portion of our tithe money was distributed for the furtherance of the gospel and sent to missionaries, as well as given to people with legitimate needs right here at home. Outside of the church, an opportunity came that piqued my interest because I have a daughter who is a teacher in the public school. 
It was the McCaskey High School Teacher Appreciation Events. It didn't take long before this was high priority on my to-do list. With all that said, why do I go to church? Here is my formal list. To worship God, my creator, my sustainer, my savior, my friend. To hear God's word and have it explained. To grow in my personal walk with God. To have fellowship with other Christians. To serve the Lord in ways that I could never do on my own. To discover, use, and develop my spiritual gifts for God's glory. To have a trustworthy place to give my tithe to the Lord. And lastly, to be able to take part in communion, the Lord's Supper. Paul explains in 1 Corinthians 11:24-26 how important this is. It is a reminder to me that Jesus died for my sins, and because of my faith in him, I have eternal life. By participating, I am proclaiming to others what Jesus did on the cross, and I anticipate Jesus' second coming. When he comes again, I will be part of his forever church in heaven. begin by respecting very much what Arlene has just told us. Thank you. Um, why do I go to church? Uh, when I was asked about this, I really had no strong idea of what to say. Um, but I, I thought that if, like Patricia, um, I go to two churches, uh, maybe I was expected to be an authority of some kind on that question. <laughs> and, and I do go. Uh, so the question is certainly reasonable. Uh, well, first, the, the simple answer, uh, I, I go to church uh, because my family of origin, many friends, my loved ones do. In college, I remember the social need. Going to mass in town, I saw real people, babies, not just more students at the campus service. And I am realistic enough to acknowledge Had I been born into a Muslim family, I'd be attending a mosque, a Buddhist, a temple, if among animists, in kinship with nature. In my childhood, over at St. Joseph's School on Strawberry Hill, we watched cool film strips about the lives of the saints. And I admit, I did think, if I'm holy enough or lucky enough to be picked like those shepherd children were, Maybe I'll get to see a miracle. That would be thrilling, kind of like magic or like outer space stories, but real. Of course, I did grow up in the days when the good sisters of St. Francis worked hard to get us to know the right answers to the catechism questions. Why go to church? Well, because I was made by God to love him with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind. And if you want to read in depth, go to part three, section two, chapter one, article three on the third commandment, items 2168 through 2195. Subarticle one is about the Sabbath day, and subarticle two discusses the Lord's day. Or, for another current from my childhood, 
Catholic guilt. How do I answer this question? Is meet the press or the Wimbledon finals really more important than God? Nevertheless, from a young age, as religious practice became more mundane, even boring, as I saw the frailties of those who were the proponents of the faith, I struggled with faith. I still struggle with faith. Sometimes I'd strongly doubt God's existence. Aquinas's proofs seemed a little too cold or arrogant, and I never got into them, like he knew everything. But I did suggest to Rose once that in Mennonite churches, people are a community giving themselves to God. And in Catholic churches, it's more to witness God giving himself for the community. And at other times, I might find at unbidden moments, and a working explanation was that God was trying to get my attention or just let me know he was there. Most of you know that I like science and math. Science makes hypotheses and, with evidence, theories. But then, with further evidence, anything can be found wanting. I like the humility that is at the core of true science. In contrast, what religion is as willing to admit it might be wrong? In math, one can discover wonderful things that are part of the fabric of reality. You can make conjectures and try them out, but if you err in saying something is true in math when it is not, there is no way to hide. It is inherently 100% honest. What's not to like? But these, for all their fun and attractiveness, have only a crystalline beauty for me. They all leave hanging the question, what really matters? The human race is an arrogant one. Rather than homo sapiens, wise, I think we should have been called homo adorans, worshiping. We will worship anyone and anything, power, politicians, ideologies, possessions, money, ourselves. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, with all of his experience and through all of his reading and writings, came to understand that the ultimate concise explanation for the failure of the revolution is oppression and tens of millions of murders, and I think he would have agreed the same about all essential human failings. The people have forgotten God. Yes, we all need to be reminded of our place in things. I need to be reminded. Do we need, do I need a better reason to go to church? I ask your indulgence as I remind you in one way. Uh, please open your hymnals to number, the blue hymnals, to number 145. And just in the first verse, you'll see there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. Now look at the period at the end of that sentence. 
Now imagine that there are 15 East Chestnut Street Mennonite churches lined up side by side so that they fit across that period. It's a little hard to do, but think about that. Well, if you would shrink this building down to about that size, smaller than a typical human hair, then this entire room from east to west would be about the size of the earth. Now, shrink the earth down by almost the same factor into the side by side in that period. You see the earth lined up across that period? Well, if we put that tiny earth over on to the eastern wall, then way over on the western wall is where we'd find Ultima Thule, that little snowman planetoid that we flew by on New Year's Day. And from Ultima Thule, the sun, which would be over here, would be about 2,000 times dimmer than we, what we see, but still a bright point. And some of you may be familiar with Carl Sagan's pale blue dot image of the Earth from Saturn. Well, from Ultima Thule, the Earth would be dimmer and lost to the naked eye in the brightness of the sun. Now let's shrink that 4.1 billion miles down by something like the same ratio we've been using. Now we have a sphere, this room, 400 light years in diameter. If the sun is here, where I'm standing, in the middle of this sphere, then the Big Dipper would be about where the first pew is. And from there, looking back, the sun is now too dim to see. Inside this sphere are, oh, about half a million stars. And most of them, we're discovering, have planets. There is grace enough for thousands of new worlds as great as this. This sphere is less than 1% the diameter of the Milky Way, which has a couple of hundred billion stars. Now, for a fourth time, shrink down this 400 light year sphere into that period, line them up. It now takes 240 million years for light to cross the room. About 20 million years ago, the light left a supernova I saw about here, just two and a half feet to my left. Still, only about half the diameter of the Laniakea supercluster of about 100,000 galaxies is this room. And also consider that from the edge of the room, our galaxy with 100 billion stars is now lost to view. And if you consider on this scale, a sphere extended from here out to about Dutch Wonderland, 
That's about the size of the known universe, the home to at least two trillion, as two million million galaxies. Now, look back. Through all of our magnifications, look back to to our planet. Look back to us. Look back to the people in Dayton and El Paso. Look back. I see two main choices. I could look at everything as just the consequence of physics, of all life laws, only chemical reactions. These are sufficient to explain all things, but any true meaning does not exist in this worldview. We've seen how delusional humans can be in inventing our own. Or I can have the faith that there is a God behind it all, an ineffable God who does give true meaning to our existence. And the role of anything, any creature, anyone, anywhere in this vast universe I've described to you is to live its purpose as endowed by God and where possible, with conscience, sentience, to seek for its revelation. And I suppose that's what I aspire to, at least, for why I go to church. I just wanted you to know, I wanted you all to know, that when we talk about God of the universe, that you knew what you were talking about. And indeed, remember, if we acknowledge our God, our God is not a limited God. I've just described one universe. There is room for fresh creations in that upper room of bliss. why I go to church. I will be referring to some phrases from the hymn number one. This is the place in our hymnal worship book. We will sing that song after my remarks. Why I go to church. First of all, history and habit. Walls and a roof sheltering people, yet it becomes a body that lives when we are gathered here. Anabaptists emphasize the importance of believers gathered as the body that comes alive, even in simple meeting houses. I connect with this history and the concept of church. Also, habit. I was carried into church as an infant by my parents. It was what was expected on a Sunday morning in those days and have your car washed too. I still have my cradle roll certificate to prove uh, all of this. My childhood years of church were divided between two congregations on alternating Sundays. 
On one Sunday, we attended a more conservative Mennonite church. Here there were issues of dress and nonconformity. On the alternate Sunday, we went to Hingletown Mennonite Church, and in those days, a small um, mission church, where these issues were less obvious. I was impressed as a, a young kid with the annual fellowship meal that they thought was okay to have in a local park, and the minister and deacon could be seen playing ball with the kids. That impressed me. Such experiences took away some of the rigidity of my early impressions of church. But both congregational experiences left some positive impressions with me. I see East Chestnut Street in this relaxed sense of church. Here, the progressive tradition of the congregation continues to the present day. Secondly, encountering God in the gathered church. Yet it becomes a body that lives when we are gathered here and know our God is near. There are times when I as an individual don't feel God very near to me, as I would like to have, but I am drawn to church and the gathered body experiences that assure me God is near. It may be the singing of hymns one morning, the gentle playing of a hymn during the offering, a moment of honesty shared in community life or Sunday school. Often these God moments come from unexpected places of quiet and affirmation with surprise. Number three, sermons. I look forward to the sermon of the morning and often find encouragement and challenge in the spoken word. It can become another time of knowing God is near. As a child, I remember Sunday mornings when our minister came down from this, to the song leader's uh, lectern to give his meditation from there. This was a time of dialogue when he invited feedback from both men and women in the congregation in this small church. I didn't realize at the time how unusual this practice might have been for that day. But I sensed something special in the minister standing down amongst us, something I caught as being special. A sense of community and a sense of humor. I like our congregation's sense of community that is demonstrated in many ways. One that continues to impress me is the listserv appeals for help or giving something away to the first person who calls, or the need to borrow something. I once requested a bottle jack and got very interesting responses to that. Or more personal needs that are shared. Such appeals are usually quickly resolved by a sensitive, caring community. Laughter is also, uh, also comes easily in this gathered body, and I like that. To me, it is evidence of a congregation at ease with itself and our ability to laugh together. On such occasions, you feel good vibes in the congregation. Our shared gifts enrich the whole. We are a community of many gifts used in a variety of ways to be church to each other and the larger community. 
We're constantly looking for new ways to do church. Today's second hour intergenerational experiment is an example of this. There would be many more. Sunday school classes and small groups. Yet it becomes a body that lives when we are gathered here. In addition to the meaningfulness of congregational life as a whole, I find belonging as a member to our small group and our open circle Sunday school class meaningful. Here we personally, here we share personally what is happening in our lives and voice our honest questions and examine our settled faith. These are also places of laughter. Truly there is life and vitality here equipping us in our continued faith journeys. Here in this world, dying and living, we are each other's bread and wine. Recently, our class gathered at Bob and Nancy Martin's lovely home overlooking the Susquehanna River to be bread and wine to each other. We sat together and listened to class members share experiences of losing a spouse. Bob and Nancy also shared their journey with Nancy's failing health. It was a sacred time together. We are a healthy congregation. Fifteen years ago in a course, I was asked to assess the health of our congregation as part of our, part of our course work. I remember my conclusion, East Chestnut Street is a healthy congregation, despite whatever the issues were at that time, it was a healthy church. The struggles so important to that day were also signs of life in the body. Finally, a second naivete. Perhaps you think my view is a bit naive in this present moment of church life. There are a lot of issues on our congregational agenda, but someone recently also noticed the positive attitude of willingness of many to step up and serve in various church assignments. Richard Rohr writes about our innocence growing up in the church. As children, we accept church teachings without question and had a naivete about its imperfections. But in the second half of life, Rohr says there is a shift from heart to head as we intellectually process all that we have understood of church. As adults, we see the church with all its shortcomings and questions. Yet Rohr sees the innocence of early naivete being replaced by a second naivete, a more informed, a wiser, a dedicated commitment to church despite awareness of its flaws. I'll close with the words of Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, as a vision of church that attracts me. You are fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by the Spirit. 
This is the place where we receive what we need to increase our justice and God's peace. May it be so.